Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And a big thank you to everyone that helped support our Fun Drive episode it gets aired on CITR Radio on Sunday the 7th, so probably round about the time that this new episode is coming out. So if you're listening to this one, or you're listening to the old one, and then this one, there is still time to donate. Just visit citr.ca backslash donate. Remember to mention AFTN, and we'll get all the kudos for your support. Anything from a dollar up is going to help the station. They're trying to raise $25,000 just for new equipment, funding, paying some of their staff and training and a load of stuff like that. But that was last week's show. And on last week's show, Zach, I somewhat foolishly said, oh, by next week, we'll know what's happening with the CBA, the players' lockout, all the bargaining agreements, everything like that. And it hasn't quite worked out that way. The, the deadline... The hard deadline that was set by MLS. It was a deadline of their own making and they're trying to just push things on. But anyway, it was set for Thursday at midnight. Thursday came. We kept hearing that the the two parties had been talking to each other for the whole week. But they were still still apart on a, a number of key issues. But then things seemed to get a little bit closer, so MLS extended that deadline by another 24 hours, and lo and behold, on Friday, it looks like a deal may have been done. And I say may have been done because it's been agreed by the two bargaining parties. It's now gone to the players to vote on whether they are accepting it or not. The ballots were all issued electronically on Saturday and initially the closing for the ballot was going to be midnight on Sunday. That's now extended though until 12 noon, I think it is, Eastern Time. Could be 12 midnight, but I think it's 12 noon Eastern Time on Monday. So the players will have their say. We'll go over some of what looks to be in it because it's still not all official as to what is in it and what's not. But the word on the street is it looks like the majority of the players will vote to accept it. We'll get into all of that. 
But before we go into any of that, Zach, just how were you feeling when you, you kind of heard that it looks like a deal has been done? Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think, from the things that we have heard, uh, you know, uh, people reporting on Twitter and stuff about what's in the agreement and what's not, I, I don't feel super great about this for the, the player side of things. And so um, I think like most people are saying it would be unlikely for it not to get ratified or voted for or whatever the right word is there. But um, it it does, it feels disappointing. It feels like, well, if you, I mean, if I'm honest, it feels like every other CBA situation where it feels like the the players have uh, what's the, maybe settled, settled for, for less than the, than the ideal, which is a part of any negotiation or often a part of the negotiating, but it's, it, it, Every time with them, it feels like they settle for far, far less than they should. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I guess my overall feelings about this are disappointment for, uh, for the players as a whole. Yeah, I think both you and me have come at it from the the, the players' viewpoint that the whole way along, and it, it was interesting in the the build up to the first deadline, and then after this was all agreed. The, the general consensus from media and just bloggers and various people that have been tweeting out is they wanted a deal to get done and they didn't want the lockout and they were happy that a deal had got done. And I, I think we might be in the minority from that aspect of it and of feeling a bit disappointed. Now, I'll, I'll counter that by saying if the players are happy with the deal and they vote on it, then who gives a shit what we basically say about it because it's like it's up to them ultimately if it's them that it's affecting it's not affecting us I just saw this as a potential watershed moment for the league in a, in a number of factors that the way that the league operates I don't like now it was never going to change suddenly over CBA bargaining but this is the time for players to kind of show, show their strength. MLS isn't the only game in town anymore, even in North America. And there's a lot of options. There's a lot of North American players going well and showing well in Europe and elsewhere at the moment. So it's like MLS is not the only option for a lot of these domestic guys. You, you also have the, the fact that MLS is a very transient league. A player that is in the league this season, next season, the chances of them being in the league in 2026, 2027, it's not great for a lot of them. I mean, you just have to look at a team like Vancouver and you see the massive turnover that, that we have had here o- over the years. A lot of the players that are voting on this, a lot of the players that are voting for the future players that will be coming into the league or the young guys that will be having a career in the league, it, what they're voting for it's not going to be affecting them. No, and I, you know what, Michael, I might disagree with you a little bit, uh, or at least in one perspective, in terms of this doesn't affect the the people who watch and support the league because I I think that I think it the it hinders the qual it hinders the who they can bring in and therefore hinders the quality of the league at least in some way, shape, or form, and so therefore it does impact. Those. Now, obviously, it doesn't impact them on uh, how you live your life and yeah. what you make and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, a, obviously more indirect kind of way. But I think people, 
people should care about these things. Because I agree with you. Some of the ways that the league run the run is just uh, is not good enough. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll, yeah. Ultimately, if the players ag- agree to it, yeah, they're, they're the ones who it impacts more direct, most directly, and um, they'll move forward and they'll live with it. And great, maybe a lot of them probably aren't thinking about about five years from now when they maybe they hope to be somewhere else anyways or their or their career's well, done yes. or, or whatever so yeah it it's un, i don't know it just again it feels like you said it could have been a watershed moment could have been something something significant could have happened and from the stuff i've read there's nothing i've read and heard um indicates to me that uh there's r- r- the kind of progress you you kind of would hope for uh for the players on on all this yeah, it, it does look from what is out there that all the movement seems to be from the players. All the concessions seems to be from the players. So much that's been given up seems to have been given up by the players. And I, I just want to read some of this stuff. Sam Steschel from the, the Athletic, him and, and Jeff Carlisle have been brilliant the last week or so in their coverage of this, as the Athletic is for so much in, in MLS in the, in the last year or so. So Sam has a, a tweet. You can find him or this thread on his Twitter account. Just going into some info that's out there, some new info that he's got. So the, the first thing, which was the big stumbling block apparently in all of this, the league wanted things extended to 2027. The, the current agreement extended another two years to 2027. The players said, we'll go to 2026. I said in last week's show, I felt that was meeting in the middle. I thought that was very, very fair. But the league have not budged at all from this two-year thing. 2027, that is their line in the sand. They weren't budging from it. And as Sam says, it's a significant win for the league that that is what has been agreed by the players. They've now extended the CBA to 2027, not even just past the World Cup, but a year after the World Cup has been been held here. So in exchange for that, the players get to keep 100% of their salaries this season. And I was trying to explain this to my wife, and MLS have been clever in that this has been a key focus in all their public addresses of, yeah, the players are going to get 100% this year. Because so many people, as we've talked about in the show, that are just casual watchers of the league, are going to just see that headline and go, what what are they arguing about? They're getting all their salaries this year. Lucky them. We're not getting all our salaries. So the league's been clever in that kind of PR regard. Those that pay a lot closer attention to the league obviously know that there's a lot more to it than just this year. Now, the the players, the, they've got a couple of concessions. Free agency requirements have changed for 2026 and 2027. But basically, it's it's not much at all. Instead of needing to be at least 24 with a minimum of five years MLS service, it's now dropped to 24 and four years. That's a concession that the league's given them. And on top of that, uh, I don't know if the uh, amounts or percentages have been announced, but they also can make more. Or, or the new deal and free agency can be more than it is right now. Because one of the problems, one of the ways in which the quote-unquote free agency in MLS, which is not free agency, but the, the freer movement uh, that they created a couple of years ago, 
it hasn't been meaningful for players because to move that way only enabled them to like go up. I think it was like 5% or something, Mm -hmm. something weird. So you go to a new team, you get 5% more, but for most, most of the cases or some of the cases I know, I think Kai Kamara fell into this. Uh, And I think David Osa, well, David Osa got impacted by the free agency thing for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, because Kai got a better deal by being picked in a draft than signing a free agency deal. Yes, yeah. And that's just crazy. Weird. I mean, yeah. I, no other sport over here would operate like that. But, I mean, salaries are going to be a key part of this because the salary budget is increasing by 7.5% now in 2025 and 10% in 2026, or between 2026 and 2027. Now, that's bigger than what had been on the table. But as Sam points out, typically if you had renegotiated the CBA, you'd have got a bigger thing the next time around. So again, that's a win for the league. Lots of things are sliding. The agreed budget for 2022 is now into 2023, 2023 into 2024, etc., etc. And the number of charter flights that is allowed has also slid 2022's one goes into 2023, etc., etc. Players are also getting slightly less of a cut in the media rights fees. And I don't see what the players are getting out of this, apart from they want to play, they're getting to play. And, I mean, the general feeling is the players are going to vote to accept it. That baffles me. I mean, there might be more that we're not knowing, I'm sure the the players' reps will come out and explain why, if it has been accepted. But I don't think this is a given. And I think this could be a lot closer a vote than people are thinking. And that then also makes it difficult because then you've got a split in the player pool. uh, One thing I haven't read yet, Michael, is is there... uh, So forgive me if this is very clearly out there. What is required to pass... That, I don't know. I don't know if it's a clear 50% or if it's 75%. I'm sure it is out there, but I haven't actually it's got, seen It's got to be more than 50%. Yeah, right? I would this, think... This is, a, this is a major issue, right? It's got to be like... Normally something like this would be like 75 80%. Something. Exactly. I'm sure it will be above 50 I guess we'll find out on Monday. Sadly, the day that this show comes out, or maybe the day after, we're going to find out that. So, I mean, if there's anything major breaks... I. I we can do a kind of little uh, additional one or an extra podcast for for our people. But as I said, I think this was a chance for real change. To me, the league and the owners get the best of this deal. And what I think is a real kick in the teeth is while the lockout was looming and getting closer and closer, you've got a team like FC Cincinnati who all of a sudden were getting linked with two massive moves for designated players. We're talking tens of millions of dollars here. Obscene amounts of money when you could be looking at locking out the players. And no team is going to be doing something like that, looking to bring Pity Martinez maybe back to, to MLS without being fairly confident that the, the players are, are going to be accepting this deal. But even just putting that out there, it was really bad timing. I know the club didn't put it out there and it was leaked by Cincinnati Media, but it it was horrible to, to read that when some players are on minimum league wages and they're just battling to, to try and get, get a fair share of the pot. I agree with you. That's a little bit awkward. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, these teams also have to move forward. Like, things are going to happen, right? Like, so 
Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I said last week uh, it's been pretty quiet. This week, Shundak, like Montreal's been busy. Cincinnati looked pretty busy. So, so some big money getting splashed about. But the owner, like, more of what I mean is the owners have been like pleading poverty. We've lost all this money. This is why we need to renegotiate. Yeah. But I'm just going to go and drop 20 million on bringing a player here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But that, that's, I mean, we... Everyone who knows, everyone who understands, knows that that was just a uh, not not fully true. Even like the billion dollars, right? Like the billion dollars they keep on bringing up from twenty twenty. Uh, we know that that just that's like a soundbite, right? Like uh, yeah, they. I, I don't know how they can. I don't know how they can prove. It. I'm not saying they didn't lose money. Don't don't get me wrong, but I don't. Unless they're going to show someone their books, which they're never going to do, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone who follows the league would ever believe that the, that that number is like a real, real number. Yeah, but I mean, it, it looks like a deal is going to get done, so we're still within the timing that the league wants. So preseason camps should be getting underway, possibly two weeks, just let, over two weeks. Let me just clarify. What I, sorry, what I meant about that number is that number was used from the get go all around this negotiation oh yes, and, and yes. That, that's that's the whole reason why, because again it's all sound bites and media play and and when people hear the league lost a billion dollars or you know or they hear the league they hear a billion dollars they hear losses you, you know they know people are going to put that together and be like wow they're really hard up and the players should kind of help them out yeah and then watch all these owners now spend an absolute fortune in the in the coming weeks once this gets ratified. But I mean, if things do get ratified, as I said, training camp will get underway in a couple of weeks. Season will get underway April 3rd, 34-game season. Still a lot of unanswered questions with regards to the Canadian teams. Certainly not looking good from a Vancouver perspective as to, to playing games at home still. I, I know some other provinces in Canada seem to be relaxing restrictions round about sport just now, but still, ultimately, you're looking at a federal issue of crossing the border. Oh, that's still got to be addressed, but at least we're moving forward. We might have a season to talk about. And it has been a, a little bit busy in Whitecaps land. There's some, some things to talk about and also some changes coming in the CONCACAF Champions League. But we're going to look at all of that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a it's an oldie, but it's a goodie, from 1992, from their self-titled album, that was Utah Saints, U-U-U-U-Tah Saints, 
which I usually play them when we're talking about Real Salt Lake. But no, I was just in a bit of a, a Kate Bush mood this week for, for some weird reason. And that was Utah Saints, Something Good, sampling Kate Bush on it. Cracking little track there. But enough of that, let's get into football. Let's get talking about some Whitecaps stuff, because there is some stuff to talk about Whitecaps-wise. Not, not, not new signings, not players, not a number 10. In fact, kind of the opposite of that, one of the number 10s that had been linked to them, the Brazilian midfielder, Otavio. He's with Portuguese side Porto just now, and he's renegotiated a new deal with them. It's not a big surprise because he had kind of come out and said he had no interest in coming to Major League Soccer. So I, I don't think he was coming here anyway. So it, it looks like two of the first three choices are out the window. So at least if they get the CBA ratified, then that, at least the Whitecaps know there's going to be a season. But it looks like their search for a number 10 is continuing. They do have, though, a, a player... He was drafted, but now he's officially on a contract. David Egbo, he has signed with the Whitecaps. And earlier than other draft picks have usually signed, usually they wait until they've seen them during training camp, even if it's just a week or so. So I think that kind of shows Zach that they do see him as a real prospect. They see him as lots of good potential and they just want to get him signed up as soon as they can. And I'm very pleased by that because... The, the stuff that's come out and the Akron coach as well has, has come out and basically said that he's one of the top prospects that he's produced from the programme. And when you look at what that programme has produced, that's quite a high accolade. Well, again, hopefully it's, this is a, a good sign because uh, you're right. Usually, the, uh, unless it's already a done generation Adidas deal, which is done ahead of time with the league, uh, usually these things don't get uh, confirmed until at some point during training camp they come out coaches get to see them close up and all that kind of stuff so i guess you could look at it concerning like oh no they're they committed to him without having him in camp or whatever but i think this is this hopefully will be a positive now it also hopefully might mean uh they see him as being maybe it's the backup to cavani or or whatever besetting cavani sorry cavallini i'm sorry <laughs> god you, you got my hopes up there i thought you were dropping a he's transfer bomb He's really old, but he's already scored in 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 the in the lower mainland before at the U twenty two U twenty two thousand seven World Cup, right? He scored. Yeah, I'm just gonna see how old he actually is now. Oh, he's older, dude. He's got to be at least thirty four. Thirty three. There you go. And he's thirty fourth year. I'd still take him. I him, yeah. Him I mean, and Cava up front, the, the double calves. <laughs> double calves. Sure can come up with a better better thing than that for them, but. Yeah, I mean, he, he does seem a good prospect. So we have to see how he does on the pitch. We have to see how he does at this level. But like going back to the point you were making there, I mean, MDS has kind of talked about the fact that Cavallini is going to be away a lot. So he needs to have somebody that can step up to the plate. It's a lot of responsibility to put on the shoulders of a, a young draft pick there. Yeah, so in one sense, it feels... Uh, I guess the positive you could see in it is that they have someone... Right. So it, it looks like that's one of the roles he's going to play. So that you have someone. The other side of that coin is he is a, a player out of college who, like mm -hmm. we talked about when he was drafted, you know, you should probably not have high hopes for these players because they typically don't produce very well. Now, he was a first round, he was top 10, you know, 
there's a better chance, but really the statistics I think show that after like picks five or six, not a lot of players make an impact. Uh, it's quite a rarity, but um, yeah. And it's tougher I, for strikers as well. I mean, you have oh, to be yeah. top, oh, top yeah. quality in, in this league to, to really make it. I mean, if you look back to the excitement when we drafted Kakuta and Eric Hurtado, and it's like they never lived up to it. Going before that, Darren Mattox never really lived up to it. Omar Salgado certainly didn't live up to it. So it, it is tough. And Vancouver seems to be a place, of course, where, where strikers come to to see their goals dry up. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do on the pitch. I'll reserve all judgment until I find out what his biscuit of choice is, because we haven't been able to, to ask that yet. But I'm sure we'll find out, out soon. But he's officially a white cap. He's officially on the roster now. He takes up an international spot. But it's okay. Because we've got rid of one. David Milinkovic, we knew it was coming. I mean, it, it, it was pretty obvious it was going to be coming. A mutual contract termination announced this week. And the, the official word is just he, he'd he had the baby with his family. They wanted to be in Europe, closer to family. And everything with the pandemics probably made them feel a lot more isolated out here. I I totally get that. I totally understand that. He did seem to like playing here, but when you look at everything else and the family aspect and travelling and going back to see them, it makes a lot of sense. He wasn't outstanding. So he could have been. I, I don't think we maybe saw the best of him, but I don't think it's a big, big loss, Zach. No, I don't either. Um, just for clarity's sake, uh, because it's a, a mutual termination of a contract, this doesn't count as like their one buyout for the no, year or whatever. No, right? it's not. So they've okay. done this before with some guys. So like both are happy just to cancel the contract. So okay. buyout means that they're still getting some money for what's left in their deal. So this is just both parties agree it's for the best for both parties. And in this case, it, it certainly is. That's pretty much all the kind of transfer news because there hasn't been a lot happening with the Whitecaps but as we've talked about endlessly now it's hard for them to do business just now when you don't know if there's going to be a lockout you don't know where they're going to be playing so at least half of that might be addressed by the time that this show comes out but there has been some internal changes and we spoke about some of them in last week's show when we sat down for a, a chat with Andy Rose who has become the under 19 assistant coach the man, though, that is going to be the head coach there, which Andy had mentioned in our interview, I don't know how many folk had actually picked up on it, but Nick Dazovich has dropped down from the development squad to be the under-19 head coach. I say dropped down, but that's maybe a bit unfair because the development squad was basically just a ragtag group of players, whereas this under-19 squad is an important part of the Whitecaps' pathway um, just an important part of the, the Whitecaps organisation because this is the level that we're looking for the next homegoing guys to really come from and really sign their deals and, and show that they can do it at that level. So Nick Dazovic running that, I think, is a really good move and I think it it utilises his talents a lot more than being in charge of a development squad or even the under-23 team because ultimately those guys have signed and Dazo's a guy that I feel can have an eye for talent and help these guys make this jump from the academy to the MLS team. Yeah, again, yeah, I don't think it's, I would agree with you, it's not fair to refer to this in a 
in a you know a, a moving down thing. Yeah, that was a slip by me. I didn't. Yeah, okay. Because I think all like all your all points within an organization in a football club are important in terms of uh, player development. You need amazing people in kind of with with each age group, and each age group is important because you want players to progress. And I agree with you. I think Dasso can do a really good job um, with this uh, with the U19s. And I think he had an incredibly difficult task, especially in 2020, overseeing a U23 team that had nowhere to play. Like, didn't have a league to play in. Yeah. So, um, I couldn't yeah. even really play a lot of games outside of bubbles and stuff as well. Exactly. So, so I think he'll enjoy the the and uh, you know, the continuity he'll have with the U19s in terms of having like a actual regular kind of player pool. And because um, I think there was some movement before, right, with him, even in the first year, he would get players coming and going right oh yeah bit. it was it was a very oh. coming and going situation you had a lot of trialists uh a lot of players that, that couldn't be named that were were taking part in it as well just for the white caps to have a look at them and i i think it's a tough time as we've talked about we, we should probably have a, a, a sit down chat with Dazza. it's been a, a couple of years now since since we we last spoke to him i'll, I'll have my camera ready this time but elsewhere in the academy Vanni Sartini has officially taken over as the under-23 head coach. Rich Fagan is going to become the high-potential player head coach directly under Sartini. So he's tasked with kind of being that bridge, I, I guess kind of similar to his WFC2 role in a way, but that was kind of a direct bridge to the first team. This is helping get the best and getting programs set for these these HPP players, which we've had at the club for a while, going way back to like Ben Fisk was an HPP player. Yeah. With what, the uh, what was Rich's role after WFC2? He went to be the under-19 head coach and then oh, he okay. decided that that for him wasn't really doing what he wanted. So he dropped down to under-17 level okay. because he thought that that, was the key development and the key shaping of the players. So he really wanted to be more involved in that. And I, I agree with him because the time you get to the 19s, yeah, you're not the finished article, but you're expected to be a bit more polished. U17, U16, U15, that's where a lot of the key development comes in and that's what Rich really enjoys working with. He's a quality, quality fellow and quality coach. Yeah, I'm surprised he stayed within the Whitecaps in some regards, because I would have thought there might have been some CPL teams like maybe signed him out because he had got that experience with WFC too. But I mean, who knows? A lower mainland team in the CPL, Rich Fagan could certainly be a, a, a guy that takes them. There's been some other changes around the academy. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Getting games for these guys is still going to be the key. There's going to be a lot of games between the 19s and the 23s. They can maybe put some of these teams in the BCSPL into some of the youth leagues, maybe this BC League One, if it can possibly get underway this summer, which still looks like it's going to be really, really tight for that to happen. But, yep, that's all the Whitecaps news. Now, when we spoke to Andy Rose last week, Zach had said, well, he's, he's happy for Andy, but he would have liked another Andy a couple of years ago to kind of ha have moved into an academy role. That was, of course, Andy O'Brien. And I, I think Andy, when we spoke to him last year, had said that was something that he would maybe have liked to have done and maybe would have kept him in Vancouver, but just things weren't meant to be. 
But it's always been fun to speak to Andy. That kind of jogged my memory, mentioning that last week. So I was like, you know what? I haven't played everyone. Does Andy O'Brien fancy a chocolate digestive? If you're sitting at home and you decide to have a, a hot beverage of choice, what would be uh, your favourite hot beverage to have? Tea, coffee or something else? So I'm getting older and I need a bit more energy coffee. And are you a biscuits fan? And what's your favourite biscuit? Yeah, um, very basic biscuit. Have you heard of Belvita's? Oh yeah. Ah, it's been a while. A, hearing from Andy. B, having a chocolate digestive section. So we have to get some more of those done soon. All these new guys that's coming in. Whoever our number 10 is from South America... Uh, that's going to be the first question, surely, that I have to put to him. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be a chocolate digestive guy. Let's move wait, on. Wait, you're sure a South American number 10 is going to be a chocolate digestive guy? 100%. I stake my reputation on that. Oh, my. Yeah. I think my reputation's pretty long shot anyway. For the rest of this part, I want to have a look at some changes that that were announced this week that are going to affect the Whitecaps, but not for a while. The CONCACAF Champions League is changing. The 2023-24 CONCACAF Champions League is going to have a new format. So yeah, it's still quite a bit away, but I mean, we're, we're talking two years. But the group stage is returning and it's going to be regionalised. It's going to be played in the fall each year there's going to be four groups of North American clubs, four groups of Central American clubs, and two groups of Caribbean clubs. It's then going to be followed by a 16-team knockout stage played in the spring, and in amongst those 16 teams, 11 of them are going to come from the the North American group. A, A total of 20 clubs from Canada, the US, and Mexico will now qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League group stage. And it's all going to be through performance in domestic leagues and cup competitions. There is, though, going to be one qualification spot from this League's Cup, which, sadly, is not disappearing. It's hanging around, and I don't actually mind it as much now that there's something at the end result. It's not just the glorified friendlies. You can actually qualify. As horrible as that competition has been in the past... Now it actually has some validity. Yeah, so I actually don't mind that, and it's. But how do you option. how do you get into that thing again? Uh, I th- I think it's like wasn't it before you have to get chosen or something or invited or. Yeah, uh, if you can so, tick the boxes of getting a lot of Hispanic viewers on TV, I think that ultimately gets you into it. But so certainly that has to change. I, I would think so. I think there's going to be set criteria. There's yeah. a lot, though, that's still got to get ironed out because we'll come to how Canadian clubs can qualify in a sec, but the full details for MLS and Mexican club berths, are they're still to be decided. So there's still a lot to, to get involved. USL clubs could get an aspect. The USL champion could get a, a 
a spot in this as well, which I think they should. I think that's fantastic if they do that, and it's long overdue. The, the 20 clubs from Canada, America, and Mexico, they're going to get drawn into four groups of five. Each club will play a total of four group stage matches, two at home and two away. Following the group stage play, the four group winners and the four second-place finishers qualify for the knockout stage. And then there's going to be a play-in round so that three other teams can also qualify for that that knockout round. So what does it mean for the, the Canadian teams? What does it mean for the Whitecaps? Well, three Canadian teams are guaranteed a spot in this 20. Two of them from the CPL. So I don't know what that will be. Will it be the two finalists? Will it be the regular season winner and the overall winner? That's still to, to get decided. For me, I'd like to, to probably see some reward for being the best team over the regular season and then reward for winning the championship. Going back to the first season, that would have seen both Cavalry and Forge make it in. And the third Canadian team, which could be a CPL or it could be a MLS team, will qualify as currently from winning the Canadian Championship and lifting the Voyagers Cup. So that's three teams guaranteed, but there could be more. Because Victor Montagliani came out and said that it's an injustice that the three MLS teams cannot qualify for the Champions League based on how they do in the league in MLS. You would have had the farcical situation two seasons ago, Seattle-Toronto. If Toronto had won the MLS Cup, MLS's representatives would not have been in the CONCACAF Champions League. So the MLS champions would not have been in it. Yes, it would have been absolutely hilarious because it was TFC, but that was absolutely farcical. Montagliani went on to say, you're either an MLS team or you're not. And that I love. And you can just see Don Garber going, oh, no, 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 no. I want it to be my American teams. But basically now, if, an, if a Canadian team wins the Supporters Shield, wins the MLS Cup, maybe even gets to the, the final or goes deep in the, in the playoffs, they can qualify, depending on what all the criteria is, for the CONCACAF Champions League through league play. And I just think, oh, this is fantastic. It's long overdue. I'm delighted for it. I wish it was sooner than the 2023-24 CONCACAF Champions League. But well done, Victor Montagliani. Well done, CONCACAF. Yeah, this is... Yeah, uh, Victor is someone who can get stuff done. Uh, maybe you, some people, you know, <laughs> won't like that or won't agree with some stuff, but he gets stuff done. And I think this is just another example of him doing that. I, uh, I, yeah, I loved, I love his his quote, his comment on, on how it's a, it's been an injustice that uh, teams from MLS have um, Canadian teams from MLS have not been able to qualify through their through their league. Yeah, you know, if 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 Cardiff City or Swansea won the won yep. the EPL, they'd be in the Champions League. There's no yep. FA Cup as no, well. Exactly. So um, it's good to see that that it sounds like that's going to be rectified. So that's awesome. Uh, really exciting. I, I, I like uh, personally. I'm I'm happy that they're changing the format. I felt like these last few years where the Champions League was uh, Concacaf Champions League was just a knockout tournament from like J February on. It was like four rounds tops. I felt like yeah. It, 
I, really... I do I do prefer knockout tournaments, but it was way too short. It needed oh, to be exactly. It, it, it was it just it de- de- devalued it to me, and I, I liked, uh, you know, on the, on the other side of that, I liked how the Concacaf League enabled more country, more countries, and more clubs from around the region to actually get involved and get a taste for it. And yeah, it's been exciting to watch. Yeah, and so, but this is this is a really. Uh, as they continue to try and develop it to make it better to improve it, this seems like a, a nice a step in a nice step in the right direction. And so it's uh, I'm excited for. I mean, this is gonna. I mean, I, this might be harder for Canadian clubs to get out of their group stage into the knock to the knockout round. But I think overall the the quality of games is going to be very high in those in those groups. And yeah, I'm really excited for the Canadian Premier League teams. I uh, really really excited that two of them are at least two of them are going to be there every, every year like that's that's such an awesome thing for the league and for for their clubs um uh, i mean can, can you imagine which is a reality tigris like cruz azul monterey one of the massive mexican teams coming to play a game at west hill stadium it's a starlight oh yeah, stadium, sorry. michael starlight, starlight express um, can you imagine that? It's like Tigris flying into a game in Victoria. Well, now that I've seen Tigris play, yeah, I can I can imagine. But um, <laughs> but no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, it, it is. But I mean, that's one of the fun things about football is those those you know uh, in, in international uh, club competitions is those imbalanced, unbalanced things where you get to go and, yeah. and play in a different place. Or if you're if you're Pacific and you're hosting them, like it's a that's a ma- I mean, you know, you support East Fife. Did you ever get you got European competition? Well, East, no, not sadly not. It's like when we won our cups, European football hadn't started. Oh, okay. So and then they it. then we turned crap, and they're like, "Hey, let's launch it now." So right, that, that's okay. basically how it worked. I, I mean, Club America going to Halifax, something like that, would just be absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm genuinely. So excited for this. But when the email dropped in my mailbox, I kind of woke up, I was reading it, I was like, oh boy, this is like absolutely wonderful. I I love this competition. I've spoken about it before a lot on the show over the years. I just hope the teams take it seriously, the the MLS teams, and it's not like then seen as just a, a burden on them or there is the danger of going back to the group stage of fixture overload because it's a busy time of the MLS season, international calendar, everything like that. It can be difficult for some of these teams to to possibly balance that and take it to their maximum squads, but they need to. And as you said, for the Canadian teams to be guaranteed two CPL teams in this tournament, it's great for the game here, it's great for the league here. And it, I mean, Forge have done so well in kind of growing the, the CPL in the region as to what it stands for and the quality of it, this is only going to help. And hopefully, it's going to lead to even better quality players coming into the CPL as well. I don't think I don't think teams are going to be able to take it easy, are they, Michael? If it's just Mexico, Canada, and the US in those groups. Yeah, but some teams don't care about the competition, so they're not going to care if they get bounced out of the group stage. That's more of what I'm meaning. Uh, okay, well, I think... Uh, hmm... I, I, I think that changes, though. I think I think the fact that every American team is likely to have a Mexican team in their group. I think that's unlike. I think you're unlikely to see that. 
Now, it might yeah. be different in a couple of years. And the, now that you've got the Club World Cup as a real thing for for clubs to look at, and it's going on just now, and, I mean, you're, you're seeing CONCACAF's representative at it, uh, playing alongside the likes of Bayern and, and clubs like that. So, yeah, hopefully it's different. Hopefully they take it a lot more seriously. I just love the competition. And funnily enough, the draw for this year's competition, where we still don't know the Canadian representative... It's actually taking place on Wednesday. I believe it's live on TSN. 4 p.m. kickoff. So, so check that out, Pacific Time. But that is it for our MLS CCL chat. We're going to be back with something a little bit different in the next part. And we're going to be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Johnny Russell, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our first song from this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN. I've gone back to one of my all-time favourite bands, a Scottish band, Idlewild. That was from their debut album. The album's called Captain. The song was You Just Have to Be Who You Are. Idlewild... I was a band I loved, went to watch them all over the UK. They're celebrating their 25th year this year and they had a, a lot of anniversary shows and stuff planned, so that's kind of probably got the kibosh, but they're a great band. They started off really sort of shouty, really punky, as you hear from that song there, and then as their career went on, they got more mellow, got into more kind of almost folk music so we're going to kind of play a broad spectrum of their songs this month. So you can let me know what you think of them if you haven't seen them before. And fun fact, or at least fun fact to me, Idlewild were the first band I ever saw in Vancouver. They were supporting Placebo at the Commodore, and I was there with my lovely wife Caitlin before we were married. But let's keep the musical theme going, because I'm going to be bringing you this episode's wavelength a little bit earlier and it's also a little bit different because not only are we going to play the song for you but we're actually going to speak to the guy that's behind the song as well and even the song is a little bit different from a a lot of the songs that I play in our wavelength section regular listeners will know a lot of them are, are punk songs but this is not it's a very evocative song I think it it conjures up a, a lot of emotions uh, as a football fan and yeah, it might mean a little bit more for somebody from myself back in Scotland because it's a 
Scottish singer-songwriter Raymond Weir, um, his band The Eisenhowers, a Glasgow-based band. And this is a song from their third album, Judge a Man, by the company he keeps. It just came out in January. This is the last track on the album. It's also the first single to be released from the album. And I'm, I'll tell you a little bit more about the song once you hear it. But let's just hear it just now. It's described by the band as a love letter to Scottish football. This is three o'clock on a Saturday.
Park, Broomfield, Love Street, Brockville, Loggy Green, Fleshers Hall, Boghead, Shawfield, Anfield, Furs Park, Stilbury. The Eisenhowers there, three o'clock on a Saturday, a song that means so much more at this time of the lockdown, where going to watch your team on a Saturday has been taken away from all of us, really, at at the moment. Most places around the world, you still can't go to, to watch games. It's been a long time, coming up for a year since we got to see some games in person here at uh, BC Place. Scotland, East Fife's not been able to to have any fans in attendance since March either. Some of the other teams were able to get some in. So that was just a a love letter to the Scottish game, just talking about how much the routine of going to the games on a Saturday means to people. It's just as part of their life. You get to see people at these games that you maybe don't see any other time during the week. And there's people that you just know to not at the football. You don't know their names, but you have chats with them maybe every week. And it's just, it's an important part of our culture. It's just an important part. If you're a football fan, it's just an important part of your life. And for a a fan of a lower league team, three o'clock on a Saturday is your time. That's when your game kicks off. Forget all this 12.30 on a Sunday afternoon nonsense. It's three o'clock on a Saturday and that's a special time. And we all want to get that time back, whether it's in Vancouver, whether it's in somewhere else in Canada or North America, or back in Scotland. But when I first heard that song, I fell in love with it right away, and I thought, I need to know more about it, I need to talk to the man behind it. So that's exactly what I've done this weekend. So please welcome now onto the show, singer-songwriter of the Eisenhowers, the man behind that beautiful song, welcome, Raymond Weir. Thanks for having me on, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for, for doing this. We're going to just get into the, the, the song in a sec, but be, before we start that, we had a little bit of chat before we were recording, but we've got to talk about football support. Um, we discussed I'm an East Fife fan, a Vancouver Whitecaps fan. You're going to be on both of our podcasts. And I, I was asking you who you supported, and there's no, no team as such. So, so tell us about you, your love of football. 
I guess the love of football. If you grew up in the west of Scotland, it's almost compulsory for a wee guy to to get into football and to be introduced to football. So at various times uh, through teenage years, at one point I might have thought I was a Celtic supporter for a while. Then I might have thought I was like a Hibs supporter or a Dungeon United supporter. But I realised that I didn't really feel passionate about any particular team. I just enjoyed football. And I think, as, as we were saying before we started the podcast, I think the, the, the thing that motiva- motivates me as a football fan as far as, you know, getting worked up about results and stuff, is that I like to see underdogs winning. I like to see, in Scottish football, in one sense, it's pretty boring because it's sens- essentially it's two teams that are, are way ahead of everyone else. And it's been even worse the last 10 years or so where Rangers been off this team. It's been a monopoly. Um, and that gets really dull. And I, I like the idea. I mean, I've been very fortunate in the last four or five years. Um, I've been to Hamden to see different teams winning the Cup. I saw Inverness winning the Cup. Um, I saw Hearts winning the Cup. I saw... St Johnson winning the cup, that was actually Celtic part. And it's great to see so-called provincial teams coming up now and again and, and winning trophies. That's that's the thing that gets me excited, uh, rather than you know following any particular team. Apart from the Scottish national team, I get quite worked up about Scotland. Um, uh, and obviously it's very exciting at the moment because we've qualified for a tournament for the first yes. time in 22 years. My, my, son, my, my, my son Liam was actually born uh, in 1998. Uh, and I was actually in France for that World Cup. I went, I went, oh. uh, I went over for a week. Um, and it was short. I was about two weeks before Liam was born. I was over, and they tried to get tried to get to the Scotland Norway game at Bordeaux, but the town was overrun by Scots, and I had no chance of getting a ticket. But, we, but just being there for the experience was fantastic. But he's my, my son's a big football <clears throat> big football fan, and he's always said, "I'll never see Scotland qualifying for a tournament." And to experience uh, winning the penalty shootout against Serbia with him was just fantastic because he was he's. He was in cloud nine. He, he never thought he would ever see Scotland playing a, a, a major tournament. Because I, I tell him, ah, when I was younger, Scotland used to qualify for the World Cup all the time. That was just what we did. Um, so it's great to see the, the national team getting a wee bit of a revival again. Yeah, I think we are kind of off a similar age. I'm 52 now. Mm. So it's like we grew up watching Scotland automatically qualify. And it's yeah. like it's you, you took it for granted almost yeah. And for, for World Cups, the Euros never so much for some weird reason, but the World Cup, you, you took it for granted. I've got all these souvenirs from back in different World Cups. The only World Cup I've ever been to was the 94 one in America, which was the oh, one wow. that Scotland weren't at. Maybe they didn't make it, yeah. Uh, and that's how we got tickets. We got it through the SFA Travel Club because folk didn't want them. So we were like, mm-hmm. hey, let's go to America. I'd never been abroad before. Mm-hmm. So I've never got to see us at a tournament. And the World Cup's going to be in North America in 2026, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed. 48 teams, surely. Yes, surely. Scotland's got to be one of 48 teams to, to get to a World Cup. Yeah, well, we, we'd be, we said that at the last Euros. The Euros are up to 24 teams. Surely we'll be one of the 24, and we didn't make it. But we've got yeah. through this time, so I yeah, we're I mean, very excited about that. I, it was interesting hearing you talking there about going to watch those cup finals at, at Hamden that was the provincial teams. Because if, if you read the Scottish media, they always say to you, basically, without, like, reading between the lines, no one really cares about it. when Like, th- this final that, that's coming up, the old firm's not in it. And it's yeah. like, the interest's not going to be there. The broadcasters are probably going to hate it because it's like they've got rights to show this and there's no Celtic and Rangers. To me, that's a proper cup final. That's yes. what cup football should be about. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And one, one, one of our best days out, I think, football, we went to Hibs Kelly League Cup. I can't remember what year it was, but Hibs won 5-1, I remember that. 
I think John Collins was the manager, and uh, the atmosphere it was absolutely phenomenal. You thought this phenomenal. You thought this is really what two communities supporting their teams are about. You know, you, there was never you, you never felt there was an edge at all to any of it. You know, there wasn't any threat of fights between the supporters. It was just a, a packed stadium, and although Kamarnock got a doing, the fans were there right at the end singing and. Uh, yeah, I, I love those kind of occasions. Or you know, sometimes even better if one of the provincial teams can beat Celtic Rangers in a final. That's sweet when that happens as well. Yeah, I mean, as an East Fife fan, like our our big period of success was like we won the Scottish Cup in '38 and then the League Cup three times. Couple of League Cups, eh? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I missed mm-hmm. all that. We've yeah. got a section on our show that we've started talking about. If we could go back in the TARDIS, what games? Would you want to see? And obviously, they're the automatic games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, all this chat brings me perfectly, really, to, to your song Three O'Clock on a Saturday, because it's okay. described as a, a love letter for Scottish football. And it, it's really, it, it evokes a lot of emotion in me, which I, I think that's, that's what songs are made for. And before I wax lyrical about it, like, tell us what was behind it. Why did you pen that song? Well, the the music came first, and the music was completely accidental because it's a dead basic thing. It's like C, E minor, D. It's three very basic chords, and I only played that because I was testing a bit of software on the laptop. I brought I bought a new bit of software, and I thought, right, I'll do a wee doodle in here and see what happens. And I just started playing around with the piano. I thought, oh, that's quite nice. That's got a nice feel to it. And I started adding things, and I shelved it because I thought it will be a song at some point. But I can't think what it is. It sounds a bit melancholy and all the rest of it. So I'd had it lying about for a couple of years, not doing anything that I'd recorded pretty much a lot of the backing. And then I thought, it's. I, I, I had the idea that it should be something that's kind of spoken word. I didn't feel like I wanted to sing all the way through it. I thought, oh, maybe something spoken word. What would be the subject of a spoken word song? And I, I, I just had that idea in the back of my head. And um, I'd started, there was, there was a year, uh, me and my son, we started going to, what we'd sometimes do was, go to lots of games in the Scottish Cup, so pick a game each round. And I'd started, I think we'd started at Edu Sport Academy. Then we went, I think it was three Rovers down in Castle Douglas. Then it was Annan, and then I think it was Dunfermline after that. And as we started doing that, I was doing a wee bit of blogging about it as well, just writing about the experience of it. And then I thought, of course, a spoken word thing would be Scottish football. I'd be talking about Scottish football. What would that be? And then once that idea kicked in, it, it almost wrote itself, uh, Michael. I, I just thought, right, the verses have to say something about the venues of Scottish football, the, the places, not only the places that I've watched football and I've loved, but places I'd like to visit and, and places that I know to be romantic just by the the, the, the name. Um, so the, the the technical challenge then was, first, I wanted to do something with the names of the grounds. So I wanted it to sound kind of poetic and evocative, but I also wanted a singing part that was going to say something about, well, why are you doing this? What, what, what is, why do people go to football? So it, it took me a wee while to think of lines that would sit, that would try and say something. And ended, I ended up coming up with something that I thought was reasonably satisfying about hopes and dreams coming out to play and, you know, the, the hope and aspiration that people have when they go to football. Because, uh, yeah, people, there's all sorts of reasons why people go. They go, you know, sometimes they go for the high farce and the comedy, but there's a lot of boredom that goes with it as well. I've been to games where I've been bored at my skill for, and then a dog runs across the park, and that's the highlight of the day. But that's that's all part of the football experience. Um, so, yeah, once once I got the idea that, that I wanted, the, we were going to use the, the, the names of the stadia, I just thought, right, OK, right, I just, all I need to do now is come up with some words that will be sung that will explain the idea why we're rhyming off the names of all these football grounds. 
it was a huge, I mean, it was a very big technical exercise getting all those people to record it and then to try and get it to sit together in the track and moving yeah. it by a fraction of a second to sit on the beat and all this kind of stuff. Uh, that was a big challenge getting all that done, but I, I think it worked out pretty well. I, I certainly did. I, and it does capture kind of like the romanticism of lower league Scottish football. Like if you take yeah. the, the big ones out of it, hearing you list off all those grounds, some of them that are no longer with us, some of them that are, are non-league. Well, uh, I don't know if you notice it, the, the, the ones that are no longer with us are all left for the last verse. That was the point of, the, as the song faded out, I wanted the echoes of Brockville and Broomfield and Love Street oh. to fade out. That was the... I, I thought you might have spotted that, being a football fan. But no, that's... That, Do you know, the, that the, never, it never clicked. Yeah, they all come at the end because it's, these are all lost to us now. These yes. these are venues are no more. So I wanted that to be the kind of sad fade out bit. So, yeah. I mean, a couple of things that, that struck me about it and, and like how it captures like lower league Scottish football, non-league Scottish football is but when you're listing all those things and like Bayview gets a yeah. mention for East Fife, it's like proper football ground names. It's not like like you couldn't do a song like that and it'd be like you couldn't say the Tony Macaroni stadium. Yeah. I, like I, don't, I didn't want to name any I didn't want to use any uh, sponsor stadium. I have nothing against clubs. If they, they need the money and if they need the sponsor for the stadium, that's fine. But I didn't want to advertise yeah. uh, you know, in my, in the song. I wanted the, the, the proper names of old old school stadiums. And I think that's what makes it because like over here there's hardly anything actually the White Cats probably play at one of the only unbranded stadiums, but that's been a government issue that the government oh, own yeah. it and there's been things like that so they play at a place called bc place for british columbia but everyone else is like the mercedes-benz stadium you can't have stuff like that in a song it yeah. doesn't it doesn't feel like that but the yeah where's the romance is, in that where's the romance oh yeah but the other thing as well like three o'clock on a saturday so to fans like myself it was, it was that was your religion you turned up at three o'clock on a saturday home and away yeah. you went to see games like twelve thirty on a sunday afternoon doesn't no. work in a song so no it, it, it's like it's stuff like that that really kind of for me just ticked all the boxes and, and just captured it and it seems to have had a really good reaction from what I've seen online as well lots of folk are loving it yeah yeah I'm, I'm hearing through the grapevine that the uh, this the BBC might be interested in using it at some point as it comes up because I think the first anniversary is coming up around about 12 30 to match of the stadium's been closed because there was there was a period between the song being recorded and the video being made. Because the song, I wanted to do the song regardless. I, so the, the song got finished. We thought, right, let's do a video to go away. And we're trying to think, what would the video look like? And then we hit upon the idea that, well, we want to say something about the situation we're in now, where people are mm. essentially locked out the grounds, can't get in. And so we wanted to make it something, capture that sense of loss of supporters, because that's why they all walk up to the stadium and they put their seat down and they look in to the empty ground because it's making a statement about we need this week this is this is something really important these rituals are very important to us um so yeah i i think it's coming up to the first anniversary of people being locked out and i've, I've heard that they might be interested in using it at half time in one of the championship games i think so i'm keeping my fingers crossed because that'd be oh. that'd be nice to get it on the telly oh it would i mean and it's made for that and like funnily enough like the day that we're recording this a year ago i was in scotland and today I was at Bayview watching East Fife play Dumbarton. The wow. day that I flew home was the day that London got its first coronavirus case. And then you just see what's happened in, in the year since. Yeah. And it's just absolutely incredible. But yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the video. Okay. It's it's like magnificent. 
It's like seeing everybody outside sitting down, looking into their empty stadiums. It really tugs at your heartstrings because yeah. I know from us doing our East Fife show, so many folk are missing the football and they're struggling because they haven't got that kind of normalcy into their yeah. into their life. So what was behind the video? The, well, the, the video we wanted, uh, my son directed the video. He's... Um, and I, 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 I suggested the idea to him. We, we knew we were going to do a video for it, and we thought originally, we, well, we'll basically just go in the grounds and we'll film outside Capelo and we'll film outside here. We're kind of, kind of stuck because we, we are based in the west of Scotland, so they all had to be local to us because mm. of you know, lockdown conditions and all the rest of it. Um, and then we thought, well, we need a hook to hang it on. What's the hook? And then uh, it came to me uh, that that would be the hook that they... That, the, they wouldn't, the people in the video wouldn't just go to the stadium and look in. They would make some statements. So they would come up with the idea of the chair. They would take it very deliberately, take a chair and sit down. And they would make a point of sitting outside the stadium and, and you know look longingly into it. So it's all basically family members that were roped into it. And, um, and my, 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 my grandson, my first grandchild, Noah, appears in it. He's, he's now five months old, but he appears in it with my daughter and my, my son-in-law, Jamie. They, 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 they go to Dumbarton. Uh, the which is a lovely stadium, oh, yeah. very picturesque setting, beautiful yeah. setting, and you could probably tell by the, the. I mean, you may be able to tell from the light. It was filmed. Mm, I think it was late September, mid Septemberish. I think they filmed that, but it was depending on people being available and lockdown conditions being okay and being able to drive somewhere. And so it took us a wee bit to pull it together, but I think I think the end result was worth it. Oh, absolutely. It- for for me watching it, it was great because the stadiums I've been to in it and then this st- like some of the non league ones like I think was it Largs was one of the st- yeah Largs was yeah. one of them yeah um it's like stadiums I've not been to and I was like oh that's a cracking old fashioned football ground yeah. as well and yeah. yeah but I mean in the current lockdown thing I mean as as a musician it's obviously I imagine it, it's it's been tough for you just now kind of doing lockdown stuff. Yeah, um, normally when you, you bring out a, a, an album, even if your ambitions are modest, even if you're basically trying to sell 100 CDs or whatever, previously you would have had, you know, gigs and pubs and stuff like that, because they know that's a good way to sell. You know, if you, if you play a half-decent gig, then yeah, there's a, a reasonable chance that some people at the pub, you may, you may sell five or six copies that night. On a good night, you may sell 20, you know, if you play really well and you've got a decent crowd. All those avenues are closed off at the moment, so... Um, uh, yeah, it's, it makes it a bit harder to promote it. Not impossible to promote it, and uh, and I think I was as I was saying to you before. I think we started recording. It's it, it would be nice to go out and 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 promote it in live venues. Um, but if, if that option's off the table, it's not it's not a deal breaker. I, I like writing songs and recording songs, so I would do that anyway, whether I could go out and play them or not. Uh, it would be nice to have the option, but if the option's not there, I still do it anyway. So. Well, I mean, just to round things off, let's t- quick chat about your your actual musical career because th- this is f- under the the band Eisenhower's, which I, I noticed from your band can't be say it's more like a collective than a, than a, a a band per se. But it's the third album by the band. It's available on Bandcamp. Judge a man by the company he keeps, and I listened to to the whole album. I actually, listened to some of the stuff on the other ones as well, and I, I, songs are so different from each other as well. And there's captures a lot of the music that I loved growing up, the kind of sound of it, like Elvis Costello, yeah, about Squeeze, yeah. XTC, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about the musical career and and the band that, that you've had up to now. Okay, I've been I've been in lots of bands and, and, and all, you know, it, it, it's 
various points been flirting with, with, with bits of success. But going back to you, I mean, it's similar to the, the, we were talking about not supporting a football team. I think one of the reasons that the, the Eisenhower's albums have got different influences on it is because, I, I personally, I, I love all kinds of music and um, I wanted the freedom to write songs. And if this one sounds a bit like Steely Dan or this one sounds a bit like David Bowie or this, you know, I'm happy with that. I don't, I, I don't want to say, well, it's a band template because I've played in bands before where there's kind of band template and mm. the guitarist has to do his thing and the bass player has to do his thing. What I've got is a whole bunch of musician, musician friends and it's basically me writing songs and thinking, what's the best thing for this song? So the song's always the most important thing. So I just want so the songs to sound good. And if they go off in slightly different directions, that's fine. Um, but it's it's, 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 it's kind of indulgent. The last band I was in, there was a band called Gum. I was in maybe about 26, 28, uh, 29, 2010, but then we released a couple of albums and I was really just a keyboard player and the producer. There was a female uh, front person and I was a co-writer on it. And that was a very different kind of discipline and it was satisfying in a lot of ways. But ultimately, as a songwriter, you want to be in charge of everything. <laughs> you want to direct the traffic. So this is my kind of, it's a kind of, I suppose, a vanity project or a hobby project. I just record lots of stuff and um, from time to time put out albums. Um, so there'll be another, uh, there's another one that's going to come out in Bandcamp and then within the next couple of months, which is stuff that didn't make it onto this album because I recorded 35 songs or something. So there'll be a kind of B-side album, but there's a new album coming um, probably mid-2021. I've got lots of stuff. Fantastic. Well, I'd recommend everyone uh, to check out Bandcamp, the Eisenhowers. Last thing as well, just talking about like special projects. When I was doing research for this and just had a, a quick check at, at, about you and the band, I I find out all the stuff about the album that you did for your dad, AC. We are yeah. first album coming out as a seventy-seven year old, and that it kind of it really tugged at me because the reason I was back home a year ago is my mum had gone into a home with dementia. Oh right. So okay. I'd, I was going home and sorting all that stuff out. So. I know after it was recorded, your dad got diagnosed, sadly, with, with dementia. But tell tell our listeners a little bit about what that album is. It's, it's, it's probably the, the, my favourite bit of music ever to work on, is to work on an album with my dad's songs. And it was one of these kind of eureka moments, because my dad was one of these... Uh, he is, I mean, he's, he's still alive, although he's got dementia. Um, he, he's one of these guys, he, he played at family parties and stuff like that. He, wouldn't, he, he would never do a gig, he would never go and play in a pub or anything like that. It was just the guitar came out of family parties and, you know, he'd sing along and usually not the main vocals, but he, he did like to sing. But I knew he had a whole bunch of songs that he'd written. So this was just common knowledge in the family and occasionally he would, you know, I would hear him playing tapes and stuff like that. And it, it was, I was over, it was a couple of years ago, and you know, when he got to the age of 76, 77 and my mum wasn't well at that time. And it just occurred to me, I thought, God, I wonder how long I'm going to have mum and dad for. And God, what that's called. So I need to why have I not thought of this before? We need to get dad into the recording studio. So it took me a wee while to persuade him because he's such a modest and unassuming man that he, he thought, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. It's like blowing your own trumpet. And I said, well, who else is going to blow your trumpet, dad? These are your songs. So we, we dug out a bunch of old tapes and I picked a bunch of songs. I recruited some musician friends, got them into the studio. Thinking this, my dad's idea was, oh, we'll just have maybe 10 or 20 CDs that we can give out to members of the family. And that would have been fine. But I, once we'd recorded it, I started thinking, these songs are really good. And the production and everything's really good. It's well put together. I knew it was good. It was a decent quality product. So I emailed a couple of record companies, Scottish record companies, saying, look, here's a project. 
My dad's just been diagnosed with dementia. These songs have been written over a period of about 50 years. They've now been recorded properly in a recording studio. I think it's an interesting story in and of itself, but I think the material's good. And he's my dad. If you're interested, here's my blah, blah, blah address. And within a couple of days, um, Green Track Records, Green Tracks Records, a Scottish record label, emailed me back and said, love it, love the stuff. We want to put this out. And my dad got an album out at, his, at the age of 77. We got, I got, we, I got on, um, me and my brother went on Radio Scotland to talk about it. Uh, got a feature in, it was either the record or the mirror, I can't remember, one of the Scottish newspapers uh, did, a, did a feature on it. And he got airplay. But perhaps the greatest moment of the whole thing, I was in town, I was in the centre of Glasgow one day doing some shopping, and I went into HMV Records, and I thought, oh, look in the HMV, look at the Scottish section. And there in the Scottish section was my dad's album. So I took a picture of it and sent it to him and said, Dad, your album's in HMV. And he's, I mean, I went to see him that night and his face, it was just had a huge smile on his face the, the whole time. It would, it would have been nice uh, from, for, to be able to promote that with some live stuff. But realistically, my dad, well, he's, he's such a shy man, he would never have done it. Mm. Plus his condition has started to kick in. So he has good, well, you'll know from your experience with your mum, there's days when it's fine and then there's other days where he's in dementia world and doesn't make much sense. But it was fantastic to actually uh, celebrate a lifetime of uh, music, you know, and pull it all together like that. And it's, I've got up in his wall, I've got a framed, uh, uh, we blew up the album cover into a big poster and he's got it up in his wall just to remind him that, you know, you've got an album, your album was out, people bought it and it was played on the radio. He still gets PRS checks in. Uh, but oh, really? the, the first. Aye, the, the first one he got in was a belter. It was for like £900 or something like that because he was getting quite a bit of play on uh, BBC Radio. Now they're more modest. I mean, you get a check, you get 34 quid or whatever, but it's still a show. Every time you get a PRS team, I say, Dad, look, 30, look some, somebody in Plymouth Radio played your song and someone in Manchester Radio. And it's great. It's absolutely great, Michael. It's, it's, and it's definitely definitely the most fun I think I've, I've had. And, and obviously... There's a, it's really poignant and emotional yeah. working it's, on your dad's stuff. A beautiful legacy to, to have off him as well. And it's one of those things, if you hadn't done it and then this happened, you'd be like, yes, we should have yes. done it, we should have done it. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's fantastic. I recommend folk to, to check that out as well. It was nominated for Scottish Album of the Year and it's just, it's a, it's just such a, a lovely story. And the reason it's out as AC Weir is he didn't want, uh, my dad's name's Alex, and I said, right, we'll put it in. He goes, no, I don't want to use my own name. I don't want to use my own name. Alex, right? So that was a compromise. <laughs> was out. Well, what about AC? Because Cameron is his middle name. Uh, AC Weir. He goes, right, okay, we'll, I'll can live with that. <laughs> oh, it's, out on, it's on Green Track Records. It's called, um, this has been me since yesterday, which is a very Glaswegian phrase. Yeah. So, yeah, folk, check that out as well. And... It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Raymond. Thanks for say, having me on, Michael. Genuinely love the song. When I when I heard it, thought, oh, I've got to have a chat with you about this. So just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online, where they can get your stuff online. They they can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, and, and probably Bandcamp's a good place to start because you can you can stream it and then you can decide whether you want to buy it. It's, it's the Eisenhowers on Bandcamp. Yeah, there's there's lots of stuff. There's, there's there's three albums up there just now, and there'll be more stuff following over, um, going up over the next couple of months. So um, definitely check that out and check out all the other stuff as well. We'll tweet it out on our social media channels, and yeah, good luck with it. Fingers crossed that it does get picked up for the the BBC to use as well, because I think it definitely is worth it, and it's it's the perfect song for football lockdown. So thank, thank you, you so much, and good luck with it. No, thank you, Michael.
Thanks so much to Raymond for chatting to us there. I really enjoyed that chat, explaining what was behind the song and just having a general chat about football and, and what it, it means to, to both of us. Let me know as well. This is something that I, I put on our East Five podcast, but, but let me know on Twitter at AFT in Canada or send me an email, AFT in Canada at hotmail.com. What are you missing most from being at the football? Is it the games? Is it just the atmosphere? Is it the, the pre-game, the post-match ritual, just meeting up with friends? What is it that you are most looking forward to once we're able to get back to games? But what about you, Zach? I mean, what, what are you most looking forward to once we get back to some games? Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, we've talked about this before uh, and during the pandemic and stuff, but uh, it's, yeah, it's the people, you know, the people you uh you support with the people you stand with um the people you you know create displays with <laughs> those are the people you want to hang out with the players uh there's some some of the stadium staff or you know you miss them don't don't uh, yeah don't know what some of them are up to <laughs> uh, in the midst of all this but um yeah i think that's what i missed the most uh recently it's been nice i've uh, done a zoom call or two with a couple of people um, that I that I haven't seen, and I mean, over the pandemic, I've seen some people when we were allowed to see people, but um, yeah, it's the relationships. It, it is, and it's like just talking about that song there. It's like when you're a football fan, you've got your ritual, you've got your routine, and I think for for a lot of people in in somewhere like Scotland, because you can travel easier, you can go home and away. It's like you've suddenly had that big thing ripped out of your life. And there has been a lot of folk. I mean, we've talked about it on our East Five show that's been struggling, fans, players, media as well, just with having that taken away. And hopefully things will return soon. And hopefully we will get fans back in attendance soon. Yep, fingers crossed. But that is it for this part. We're going to be talking more about actual football in the next part. And we're going to be turning our attentions closer to home back in Canada, Canadian Premier League, and we'll be back with all of that, and we'll be announcing our competition winner after this. Hey, it's Marco Bustos. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. I drank champagne with kings and queens, politicians praise my name. But those were someone else's dreams From the pitfalls of the man I became For years and years I chased their cheers At the crazy speed of always needing more But when I stop and see you here I remember Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, I've I've gone for a, an interesting song. Or at least I think it's interesting. Hopefully you did as well. I love musicals. I don't know if I've ever shared that on, on the show before, but I love a West End musical. I love a Broadway musical. 
Jingle Jangle and Netflix at Christmas time. That was a, a great Christmas movie. I didn't watch that. I'll have to watch it. Oh, you should. It's, abs- it's probably best watched at Christmas, but it, it's a fantastic movie. I also love The Greatest Showman. My daughter does as well. Finally, you have something in common. Do you not like it? No, it's okay. But my daughter like really enjoys it. Yeah, I've only seen it once, but I mean, I would watch it again. I really enjoyed it. Uh, that song that we played there is actually a cover from The Greatest Showman. The song is called From Now On. It's the new single from Fife-based singer-songwriter Cameron Barnes, who just happens to be an East Fife supporter and who we're having to be talking to for our East Fife podcast this week as well. So that was Cameron Barnes, also featuring the Methyl and District Pipe Band, with a very different version of From Now On, from The Greatest Showman. Check out the video as well on YouTube. It's a it's a cracker. So I hope you've enjoyed that. Something a little bit different for you. But in this final part of the show, we're, we're going to be turning our attention to some Canadian Premier League news. Because it's been coming thick and fast this week. We're also going to announce our winner for our competition last week where you've got a chance to win a CPL scarf and a mini ball courtesy of the Volkswagen collection but we'll come to that at the end. So yep busy week and actually addressing some of the stuff that we talked about on last week's show. First of all Dominic Zator we discussed where he might go he wasn't re-signing with Cavalry we thought Europe is beckoning for him. And in some ways it has, but not as a permanent move, or at least not yet, because initially Dominic Zator has joined York United, but he has loaned out till the summer to Swedish side Vaselands. Then he'll come back and play the, the CPL season with York. I'm surprised by this, Zach, because I definitely think Zator can play at a, a higher level than the CPL, whether he just felt he needed a new challenge, a challenge away from, from his home city, having the chance to go and play in Sweden and then coming to play in York. But it, it just seems a, a little bit of a, a weird move. All that matters is he's back for the Voyager's Cup to knock out the Whitecaps, I think. Um, but no, I, the, I mean, I think there's been, I think I've seen conflicting reports in terms of this is this was simply his way of, of being able to get to Europe. And there's like, very little to very little chance that he'll actually play for York, for York. Um, and then I saw some people refuting yeah, that. Yeah, um, Dwayne Rollins had said that, and then yeah. Angus McNabb from York United said, "Yep, that is absolute nonsense." Yeah, but I mean, again, if you're York York Nine York United, you you have to you'd have to deny that because it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't look good even even if even if it even if it was like. If it's not true, they're going to deny it, and if it is true, they're still going to deny it because they don't want it. To, they don't want it to look bad. They don't want it to look bad like the player is actually not coming because he's a high, been a high caliber player in the league, and they don't want to necessarily look like, yeah, we just did this to hopefully make some money. You know, um, although I don't think anyone would begrudge them that. I just don't think they want that perception. Yeah, but, I mean, um, he could end up signing for Vaselins and then get loaned back to York for some of the CPL season as well. So I mean, it yeah. could be that he does play some games for York, but. Yeah, I, I find it funny what one soccer were going on about. Is this the biggest interleague transfer in CPL history? And it's like it's the third season of the league, and in the first year you're not going to be having inter-team transfers. So it's like 
it's not really something to debate at this point. And I still was, think Bustos was, but yeah, exactly. Did he actually transfer? Wasn't he on a free? I, I think they just meant moving between two oh, teams, okay. though. It is is more of what they were meaning. But I mean, York United have been very busy. They they seem to have completed their roster, which I find kind of crazy in February. Yeah, because they posted whatever about it, right? Yeah, they posted like Dariush that did the the artwork for the the CPL Island Games book, right. where they illustrated every goal. I I've seen some of his cartoons before. He is one of the most talented people involved in, in Canadian soccer. His artwork is tremendous. And he's kind of done all the York United players as Panini stickers on a poster. Yeah, I saw that. Absolutely fantastic job by him. And it's like, I might have a word with him actually and see if we can commission him to do some stuff for us because I've loved everything that I've seen that he's done, I've got to be honest. He had a little cartoon series as well that, that was good back in the day. But... It does seem weird in some ways to have your, your roster complete. I know you kind of want to do that, but they've also added Noah Verhoeven from Pacific, who is a prospect, but I don't think he quite lit it up there. No, and maybe a change of scenery would be what he needs, but he's definitely a talented player with a lot of potential upside. Yeah, and of course with a lot of the one soccer and CPL guys being based out of Toronto and Ontario, all the, all the chatter this week has been, oh, York United is going to be real contenders this year. They, they're going to make a big challenge for the championship and it's going to be a big battle between the, the two Ontario teams. Didn't they say I, that last year? I was away to say, I remember them saying that about York last year and they didn't even make the top four of the Island Games. And it's a big season for Jimmy Brennan because if you've got all this expectation on you and you do not deliver... It's hard to see him keeping that job for the, the season after. Isn't he the like one of the owners, though? Yeah, but he could take a step back. Sure. A little, little quiet word in his ear. But, I mean, the York have impressively been building, but so are a few of the other teams. I'm not going to go into all the additions. Montreal have loaned players out to a couple of teams as well, which you have to feel the Whitecaps need to get into that. They need to. I know we had Fashionary loan to Ottawa last year, but if the if it is looking like it's going to be tough for the under twenty three team to be getting games, we've got to get these guys loaned out, and the CPL is the perfect place for them to to ply their trade, learn the game, get development under some very good coaches. One player, another player, even that has is moving between teams. We talked about him on last week's show, Kevin Allaman, going from FC Edmonton now to Valor. Via Guadalupe FC in Costa Rica. He's going to, to play down there on loan. But that's an interesting one. I, I don't know if Alan tried to keep him. I, we'll speak to, the, to Alan about We sit down with him. I think this week we'll try and get that done. If, if not next week. I, which I know I said last week as well. But going to Valor, working with Rob Gale. That's going to be an interesting one. Because again, as we talked about in last week's show, Alan was a guy that didn't quite live up to what I was hoping for him with the Eddies last year. No, and again, we talked about how the shortened season and all that, I think, also played a factor in addition to just the pandemic life in general. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Robert Gale can get out of him because he is a player who has some talent and has some experience and should be able to 
make it, let's say, make an impression in the league. And he, yeah, he, he didn't do that in seven games last year. So, yeah, I, I, I hope he's one of those guys who he was – uh, one of those young up and coming players that, you know, for Voyagers, there was this struggle over him maybe playing for Costa Rica over Canada, mm-hmm. and he was one of them we fought for and got. And he hasn't, um, hasn't continued to develop the way the way the, on the on the trajectory he was on when he was younger. And so I think the hope for Gail and others is to get him back to that. Did Gail, did Gail coach him when he was younger, too? He must have. Yeah, Gail, yeah. Gail's worked with him before, so it's kind yeah. of a, a, a reuniting. But then he was excited to be going to, to Edmonton and reuniting with folk there, and it, it just didn't didn't quite work out for him. But as we said last week, short season certainly didn't help, and he needed to get some support, but he just didn't really have it. Yeah, he wasn't the only one at Edmonton last year who was off form. Yeah. It's a big year for a, a number of teams, a number of managers, and a number of players. So really looking forward to, to seeing this get underway. It's still months away, sadly, as as well, but just itching to, to see the CPL back in the pitch. And Edmonton is one of those teams that, that there's a lot expected of them this year. I would not be surprised if they are a playoff contender because Alan Koch has been making some, some key additions there and he's not finished yet. And, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see what he does. But talking of Alan Koch, we've spoken to him a lot over the years. We've found out a lot about him. We had a, a good career retrospective with him last year. But one thing that I'm sure is a burning question for all of you, especially now that he has gone into the CPL and moved to Alberta, is just what is Alan Koch's favourite jam? What's your favourite jam? Traffic jam. What's wrong with raspberry? What's wrong with plum? How's about a blob of elderberry on a scone? What's your favourite jam? So you're sitting at home, you decide to have some toast or a muffin or a crumpet. What's your favourite jam? Oh, nice little apricot jam is probably my favourite. No oh, particular ex- brand, but any type of apricot jam is Exotic. Favorite. That's good. Most folks just say something like strawberry, so apricot's good. Yeah, a little different, I guess. What's your favourite jam? Oh, so Alan Koch there going for the exotic apricot. Not sure we've had that before, but that's an interesting one. I think we might have once. Anyway, not much more for this episode, but it's time to reveal who has won our CPL competition. Well, I say reveal. We haven't actually picked our winner yet. We're going to do that now. I'm going to, to give all the answers to Zach and we'll have a debate to see what one really tickles Zach's pickle. So just to remind everyone, what the competition was... Volkswagen and CPL have combined to to launch the VW collection of merchandise. So they've very generously given us a mini ball and a CPL scarf to give away to one lucky listener. We decided to do it as a competition. And I asked you to submit the best name that you could come up with for a CPL side in the lower mainland and tell us why. Now it could have been humorous, it could have been serious... And we got a lot of good responses, Zach. I don't know if you saw any of them on Twitter. I did not, so I'm looking forward to hearing them. 
Well, I put this out on Twitter and on Instagram. So I'll give you some of the, the Instagram answers first of all. Alowin95 said, bring back the Sapperton Rovers, or use at least one of the names. A nice nod to the teams who played the first official association football match in BC in 1862. Plus the jerseys can rock some hoops. Sapperton Rovers were a, a team also... They were in the VMSL for a while and there's been lots of mergers and the names kind of disappeared. But I like that. That 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 would be nice because I love my history. I love my soccer history. And a little nod going back to 1862 does it for me. Uh, I don't know that Sapperton... Like, I have a friend... I have some We have some friends who live off a, a, seat, a street called Sapperton. But I don't know that the name would be meaningful enough to... Hmm. like as the primary name and then the, uh, the bigger my bigger concern about that name is i think there might be another club in the area that uses the term rovers i'm not sure but yes. that might that sapperton tss rovers maybe <laughs> like, not not that i'm pushing for them to get in and get the commentary gig but anyway moving on I, another name i like here from aussie 04 burnaby ravens fc with a black and purple home kit, a white, silver and red away kit, and a First Nations designed Raven logo. I think that would actually be pretty stunning. It could look good. Rob Hodkinson, 604, says, Mount Pleasant Lebowskis. Play at Dude Chilling Park. Bowling inspired kits. Yeah, interesting. I actually did see some of these now, now that I remember. So moving on to our Twitter ones now. Cody Glasspool, he says Lynn Creek Riptides or the Langley Mafia. Steve Cavanaugh says Lulu FC. Playing in Richmond or Queensborough, they'd wear bright canary yellow kits. We could call them the Lemons. Fully aroused, he says Fraser United. Maybe there's like, if we count hard enough, there's nine, nine parts that make up. Fraser area and so oh. we could go Fraser 9 or Fraser yeah. 9 United and have maybe a striped uniform just to unite <laughs> or, put, or, or one like one of the uniforms could have like a map of the region on it even better our good friend and my first podcast wife Pierce Lang he says Burnaby City FC they already have a stadium call them the Black Crows have you seen the murders flying east at dusk? Wow. Yes, I see them every day and it is terrifying. Also, he says the chants would write themselves. And you also have BCFC, which would be a, an easy thing to chant. Warren Andrews said, this one for me is right up there. Lower Mainland Digestives FC, sponsored by the hot beverage of your choice. So I, I'm keeping that near the top. Aaron Campbell. Queen's Park Rangers play oh, yeah, the Isle I saw, of New I saw Best. Yeah. Now, that, that's a clever name, but he's lost me at Rangers. So, sadly, Aaron, you can't win the competition for that. Mike Ward says Sasquatch FC. It can refer to the provincial park or the mythical beast, have a tie-in sponsorship with the resort, and it would make for a great mascot. Navid Masinchi, Vancouver Impact. The reason is that they will have a, a greater impact than the Caps at local level in the soccer community, more engaged local fans, and more talent on the field. Not sure how the impact fans in Montreal would feel about that. Though. Have you seen some of the protesting stuff? No, I haven't. Oh, yeah, fans. Oh, yeah, they've been protesting. 
Uh, are they burning snowflakes? I haven't seen. I didn't watch the video. I just know they've been protesting. I know they've reached out to other supporters across Canada who to see if they would support them and stuff. And yeah, like so, so like this is not like this is like some of the old, the old, the old, the old established people as well as the new. So um, it's interesting. Huh. Mike Victoria Gunnar says tennis Borussia Vancouver Tiva for short. With a nearly 150-year history of the tennis and football in the city, the immigrated German community wanted to join their loves by creating a sports club. The sports club evolved into Tiva FC, where they competed on VMSL and now CPL. They, they, uh, tennis Borussia Berlin, I think it is. They have, uh, they continue to have because Schalke almost surpassed them. They continue to have the um, longest. Uh, longest streak without a victory in the Bundesliga. In the Bundesliga. Oh, wow. I forget the number. I think it's in the the high 20s or early 30s. Tchah, that's nothing. You need to look at Fort William. They went and, two and a half seasons without a victory. Yeah, well, this is high-level football, Michael. So the, the, the highest... You said the Highland the highest, League's not? I'm, I it's got high in the title. They... they um. They actually were happy that Schalke didn't break their record because they kind of like cherish it. It's like a badge of honor now. <laughs> um, a few more here. Logan Krupa says, The Squamish Screamers. Wonderful just for the alliteration. And I do love me some alliteration. Which is also then good for Fort McMurray FC Edmonton supporters who said the Langley Longshore Men. That's actually something I'd definitely see the, the CPL coming up with. There's no, there's no like shore in Langley for. Ah, uh, I suppose that then. I like this one, and I've got to say this is right actually high up for me. I might have this as the winner, but we'll see. M Peach, Golden Ears FC, identifiable landmark for a good part of Surrey Langley, whilst distinct from the city. So I, I like the ring of that, and I think there's a lot of things you could you could do with it. Mark Alampi, Sunshine Coast Mariners, sounds like a legit soccer club, without the FCSC United moniker. Think Queen's Park Rangers, Central Coast Mariners, and you could get fire. Crow and Cat says Sockeye SC, the mighty Fraser that runs through the lower mainland is the biggest producer of Sockeye salmon in the world. These fish are powerful and cool. Use SC instead of FC, just for the alliteration again. See, it's not just me that loves this alliteration. Fort McMurray FC Edmonton supporters also suggested Burnaby Wanderers turn Wanderers into the Rough Riders of the CPL. And finally, Brookwood FC. He said Mainland Metros or Metro United initially. The lower mainland is all united by various transit routes. Mainlanders talk so much about daily traffic and the sponsorship is a car company, so that's a bonus. But then he slept on it overnight and then came up with Valley United, Timberwolves FC or Cascade FC. Jersey Colours should be a deep blue representing the bodies of water throughout the mainland and a forest green representing the abundant greenery in the mainland. Quite like Cascade FC, Zach. That, that's them all. Does any of them grab you? As someone that wants to be really involved in the supports for this team... What one of those names, if any of them, jump out at you? None of them do I like. I really like gravitate to or really passionate would be passionate about from the get go. But I think the one that uh, 
The one that helps uh, having a microphone. Yeah, sorry. The one that um, I think is the golden years. I think yeah, that that's a you got the bridge, you got the part of the I think it's the park or whatever. Yeah, the provincial park. I think that's not a bad one. That that would probably in your in in your contest that would be the one I would vote for. Excellent. That that was the one that I liked as well. So we're going to go with that. So M Peach, you're our winner. He's on Twitter at M Peach. Get in touch. We'll message you as well on Twitter. Give us your address. We'll pass it on to the CPL and they will send you your prize pack. So congratulations and thank you for everyone for entering. That was a bit of fun. I think we'll have another competition and giveaway soon. But that is it for this episode of the show. We hope you've enjoyed it. As always, just before we go, Zach, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me occasionally perusing Michael's tweets on on, on Twitter at... Sorry, at Zachary AM. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me online looking at alliteration websites. They're fantastic. Even with the WWW, it, it does it right there. World Wide Web. But you can also find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. And please like, subscribe, and give a thumbs up to our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFT in Canada. Hopefully we will be back with some videos on that soon. I still have to get our quiz night organised. It is still on. We just have to get round to doing it. But that is it for this week's show. Next week we'll know for certain what's happening with the, the players, but it looks like the season's back underway for MLS. It's going to get underway in April. Players should be back at training grounds this month. Let's hope they get everything ratified and let's hope they've got what they wanted from it and are happy. But until next time, thanks for listening, take care, and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.